0: guys welcome to the ninth episode of the titan's curse only on the prissy jackson podcast so like prissy is like flying on zeus's territory i don't know how he's doing that like isn't the pegasus like isn't it that everyone's like dream to just soar in the sky on a pegasus it would be so cool, but he'll be on D.L.S.'s territory, won't he? I don't know. I don't know how this works. Trust me, if I knew, I wouldn't be here. God, it's so cool. Like, flying. I don't know. Okay. The thing about flying in a Pegasus during the daytime is that if you're not careful you can cause a serious traffic accident along out of the next pressway. I had to keep Blackjack up in the clouds which were fortunately pretty low in the winter. We darted around trying to keep the, uh, keep the white campfire blood being inside and if it was cold on the ground it was seriously cold in the air with icy rain stinging my skin. I was wishing on would some of that camp hobbler or in unaware the store they sold in the camp store, but after the story about Phoebe and the central blood t shirt, I wasn't sure I trusted their product anymore. We lost the on twice, but I had a pretty good sense that it'd go into the Manhattan first, so it wasn't too difficult to pick up this trail again. Traffic was bad with the holidays and all. It was mid morning before they got in the city. and Leonard blackjacked on the top of the cris. Toward the Crizzle Building and watched the white camp van, thinking it would pull into the Greyhound Station, but it just kept driving. Where's Argus taking them? I muttered. Oh, Argus ain't driving, boss. Blackjack told me that girl is. Which girl? The hunter girl with a silver crown thing in her hair. Zoe? That's a one! Hey, look! That's a donut shop! Can we have the drive-thru? I tried explaining to Blackjack that taking a flying horse through the drive-thru would drive every cop in the donut shop a harder ride. But he didn't seem to get it. Meanwhile, the van kept sneaking its way towards the living Tunnel. It had never even occurred to me that Zoe could drive. I mean, she didn't look 16. Then again, she was a model. I wondered if she had a New York license, and if so, what her birth date said. Well, I said, let's get after them. We were about to leap out the Chrysler building when Blackjack whined in an alarm and almost threw me. Something was curling around my leg like a snake. I reached for my sword, but when I looked down, there was no snake. Vines, vines, had sprouted from the cracks between the stones of the buildings. They were wrapping around Blackjack's legs, lashing down my ankles so we couldn't move. Going somewhere, Mr. D asked. he was leaning against the building with his feet levitating in the air, his leopard skin warm-up suit and black hair whipping round in the wind. God alert, Black Jack yelled, It's the wine dude, Mr. D sighed in exasperation. The next person or horse who calls me the wine dude will end up in a of lot Mr. D. I try to keep my voice calm as the grapevines continue to wrap around my legs. What do you want? Oh, what do I want? You thought perhaps that the immortal, all-powerful director of camp would not notice you leaving without permission? Well, maybe? I should throw you off this building minus the flying horse and see how heroic you sound on the way down. I balled my fists. and knew I should keep my mouth shut. But Mr. D was about to kill me or haul me back to camp in shame. And I couldn't stand either idea. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? Purple flames flickered in his eyes. You're a hero, boy. I need no other reason. I have to go on this quest. I gotta help my friends. That's something you wouldn't understand. Um Boss, Black Jack said nervously, seeing as how we're wrapped in mines three hundred miles in the air, you might want to talk nice. The grapevins coiled tight around me. Below us the white band was getting further and further away. Soon it would be out of sight. Did I ever tell you about Ariadne? Mr D asked. Beautiful young princess of Crete. She liked helping her friends too. In fact, she helped a young hero named Theseus, also a son of Poseidon. She gave him a ball of magical thread that let him find his way out of the labyrinth. And do you know how Theseus rewarded her? The answer I wanted to give was I don't care, but I didn't figure that would make Mr. D finish his story any faster. They got married, I said happily ever after, the end. Mr. D sneered. Not quiet. Theseus said he would marry her. He took her aboard his ship and sailed for Athens. Halfway back, on a little island called Naxos, he what's the you world to use today. Uh, he dumped her. I found her there, you know, alone, and heartbroken, crying her eyes out. She had given up everything left everything she knew behind to help a tashing, young hero who tossed her away like a broken sandal. That's wrong, I said, but that was thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? Mr. D regarded me coldly. I fell in love with Ariadne. Boy, I healed her broken heart. And when she died... I made her my immortal wife and lump. She waits for me even now. I shall go back to her when I am done with this infernal century of punishment at your ridiculous camp. I stared at him. You're... You're married, but I thought you got in trouble for chasing a wood nymph. My point is... You, heroes, never change. You accuse us gods of being vain. You should look at yourselves. You take what you want, use whoever you have to, and then you betray everyone around you. So you'll excuse me if I have no love for heroes. They're a selfish, ungrateful lot. Ask Ariane, or media, or for that matter, Ask Zoe Nightshade. What do you mean, Ask Zoe? He waved his hand dismissively. Go, follow your silly friends. The vines uncurled from round my legs. I blinked in disbelief. You let let him go, just like that. The prophecy says at least two of you will die. Perhaps I'll get lucky and you'll be one of them. But mark my words, son of Poseidon, live or die, you will prove no better than the other heroes. With that done, Asa snapped his fingers, his image folded up like a paper display. There was a pop and he was gone, leaving a faint scent of grapes that was quickly blown away by the wind. Too close? Blackjack said. I nodded, though I almost would have been less worried if Mr. D had hauled me back to camp. The fact that he had let me go meant he really believed we stood a fair chance of crashing and burning on this quest. Come on, Blackjack, I said trying to sound upbeat, I'll buy you some donuts in New Jersey. As it turned out, I didn't buy Blackjack donuts in New Jersey. Zoe drove south like a crazy person, and we were into Maryland before she finally pulled over at a service station. Blackjack nearly tumbled out of the sky. He was so tired. I'll be okay, boss. He began to just, just catching my breath. Stay here, I told him. I'm going to scout. Stay here. I can handle that. I can do that. I put on my cap of invisibility and walked over to the convenience store. It was difficult not to sneak. I had to keep reminding myself that nobody could see me. It was hard too because I had to remember to get out of people's way so they wouldn't slam into me. I thought I'd go inside and warm up, maybe get a cup of hot chocolate or something... I had a little change in my pocket. I could leave it on the counter. I was wondering if the cup would turn invisible when I picked it up or if I should deal with a flowing hot chocolate problem when my whole plan was ruined by Zoe, Thalia, Bianco, and Grover all coming out of the store. Grover, are you sure? Thalia was saying. Well, pretty sure. 99%. Okay. 85%. And you did this with acorns? Bianco, looks like she couldn't believe it. Roba looked offended. It's a time-honored tracking spell. I mean, I'm sh- pretty sure I did it right. DC is about 60 miles from here, Mianka said. Nico and I... She frowned. We used to live there. That's... That's strange. I'd forgotten about that. I dislike this, Zoe said. We should go straight west. The prophecy said west. Oh, like your tracking skills are better? Thalia growled. Zoe so stepped towards her. You challenge my skills, you scullion? You know nothing of being a hunter. Oh, scullion, you calling me a scullion? What the heck is a scullion? Whoa, you too? Grover said nervously. Come on, not again. Grover's right. Bianca said DC is our best bet. Zoe so didn't look convinced, but she nodded reluctantly. Very well, let us keep moving. You're gonna get us arrested driving till grumbled. I look closer to 16 than you do. Perhaps, Zoe snapped, but I've been driving since automobiles were invented. Let us go. As Blackjack and I continued south, following the van, I wondered whether Zoe had been kidding. I didn't know exactly when cars were invented, but I'm pretty sure there was like... Prehistoric times, back when people watched black and white television and hunted dinosaurs. Oh my God! Oh my God! Percy should really, really, really get his history on track. Oh my God! <laughs> How old was Zoe? And what had Mister D been talking about? What a, What bad experience had she had with heroes? As we got closer to Washington, Blackjack started slowing down and dropping altitude. He was breathing heavily. You okay? Fine, boss. I could I could take out army. You don't sound so good and suddenly I feel guilty because I'd been running the Picasso for half a day. Non stop. Trying to keep up with the highway traffic, even for a flying horse, that had to be rough. Don't worry about me, boss, I'm a tough one. I figured he was right, but I also figured Blackjack would run himself into the ground before he complained. And I didn't want that. Fortunately, the van started to slow down. It crossed the Potomac River into central Washington. I started thinking about air patrols and missiles and stuff like that. I didn't know exactly how all those defenses worked. And I wasn't sure if Pegasus even showed up on your typical military radar. But I didn't want to find out by getting shot out of the sky. Set me down here, I told Blackjack. That's close enough. Blackjack was so tired he didn't complain. He dropped towards the Washington Monument and set me on the grass. The van was only a few blocks away. Zoe had parked at the curb. I looked at Blackjack. I want you to go back to camp. Get some rest. Grace. I'll be fine. Blackjack cocked his head skeptically. You sure, boss? You've done enough today. I'll be fine. And thanks a ton. A ton of hay, maybe? Blackjack meals that sounds good. Alright, but be careful, boss. I got a feeling they didn't come here to meet anything friendly and handsome like me. I promised to be careful. Then Blackjack took off, circling twice around the monument before disappearing into the clouds. I looked over at the white fan. Everybody was getting out. Grover pointed towards one of the big buildings lining the mall. Tillian nodded and the four of them trudged off into the cold wind. I started to follow then I froze. A block away, the door of a black sedan opened. A man with a grey military haircut got out. He was wearing dark shades and a black overcoat. Now maybe in Washington you'd expect guys like that to be everywhere, but it dawned on me that I'd seen the same car a couple of times on the highway going south. It had been following the van. The guy took out his cell phone and said something into it. Then he looked around like he was making sure the coast was clear and started walking down the mall in the direction of my friends. The worst of it was, when he turned towards me, I recognized his face. It was Dr. Thorne, the manticore from the West Overhaul. God, oh my God, I hate Thorne so much. Like, I don't know what he's done with the Anaband. Okay, let's read. Let's continue. Invisibility cap on, I followed Thorn from a distance. My heart was pounding. If he had survived that fall from the cliff, then Annabeth must have too. My dreams had, had been right she was alive and being held prisoner. Thorn kept well back from my friends, careful not to be seen. Finally, Grover stopped in front of a big building that said Air and Space Museum. The Smithsonian. I'd been here a million years ago with my mom, but everything had looked so much bigger then. Taylor checked the door. It was open, but there weren't many people going in. Too cold, and it was the school holidays. They stepped inside. Dr. Thorne hesitated. I wasn't sure why, but he didn't go into the museum. He turned and headed across the mall. I made a split-second decision and followed him. Thorne crossed the street and climbed the steps of the Museum of Natural History. There was a big sign on the door. At first I thought it said closed for pirate event. Then I realized pirate must be private. I followed Dr. Thorne inside through a huge chamber full of mastodons and dinosaur skeletons. There were voices up ahead coming from behind a set of closed doors. Two guards stood outside. They opened the doors for Thorne and I had to sprint to get inside before they closed them again. Inside, what I saw was so terrible, I almost gasped out loud, which would have probably got me killed. I was in a huge, round room with a balcony ringing on the second level. At least a dozen mortal gods stood on the balcony, plus two monsters, reptilian women with double snake trunks instead of legs. I'd seen them somewhere before. Annabeth had called them... And that wasn't the worst of it. Standing between the snake women, I could swear he was looking straight down at me, was my old enemy Luke. He looked terrible. His skin was pale and his blonde hair looked almost grey, as if he'd aged 10 years in just a few months. The angry light in his eyes was still there, and so was the scar down the right side of his face. Where a dragon had once scratched him, but the scar was now ugly red as though it had recently been reopened. Next to him sitting down so the shadows covered him was another man. All I could see were his knuckles on the gilded arms of the chair, like Thor. No, it's thrown. I'm so caught up with Thorn that I'm reading Thorn instead of Throne. <laughs> well, I asked the man in the chair. His voice was just like the one I'd heard in my dreams. Not as creepy as Kronos's, but deeper and stronger. Like the Earth itself was talking. It filled the whole r- room even though he wasn't yelling. Doctor Thorne took off his shades. His two-colored eyes, brown and blue, glittered in it with excitement. He made a stiff bow then spoke in his weird French accent. French accent. And now, as I told before, I don't, I can't speak with a French accent, so we just talked normal English here. They're here, General. I know that, you fool! Boom the man. But where? In the rocket museum. The Air and Space Museum, Luke corrected irritably. Dr. Thorne glared at Luke. As you say, sir? I got a feeling Thorne would just as soon impale Luke with one of his spikes than call him sir. How many? Luke asked. Thorne pretended not to hear. How many? The general demanded. Four, Thorne said. The satyr. Grover Underwood and the girl with the spiky black hair and the, how do you say, punk clothes and horrible shield. Thalia, Luke said, and two other girls, hunters, one wears a silver circlet. That one I know, the general growled. Everyone in the room shifted uncomfortably. Let me take them, Luke said to the general. We have more than enough patients, the general said. They'll have their hands full already. I've sent a little playmate to keep them occupied. But we cannot risk you, my boy. Yes, boy, Dr. Thornton said with a cool smile. You are much too fragile to risk. Let me finish them off. No, the general rose from his chair. And I got my first look at him. He was tall and muscular, with light brown skin and slicked black dark hair. He wore an expensive brown silk suit like guys on Wall Street wear. But you'd never mistake this dude for a broker. He had a brutal face, huge shoulders and hands that could snap a flagpole in half. His eyes were like stone. I felt as if I were looking at a living statue. It was amazing he could even move. You have already failed me, Thorn. But General, no excuses. Thorn flinched. I thought Thorn was scary when I first saw him in his black military uniform at the military academy. But now, standing before the General Thorn looked like a silly wannabe soldier. The General was the real deal. He didn't need a uniform. He was a born commander. I could throw you into the pits of Tartarus for your incompetence," the general general said. "I send you to capture a child of the three elder gods, and you bring me a scrawny daughter of Thina. But you promised me revenge," Thorne protested. "A command of my own. I am Lord Cronos' senior commander." The General said, "And I will choose lieutenants who get me results. It was only thanks to Luke that we got salvage or planet all. Now, get out of my sight, Thorn until I find some other menial task for you now, after this, and whoever knows his uh, their history or mythology correctly." It'll have a s- slight clue to what t- or who this general actually is. For those of you don't know, I won't tell. Because I hate spoilers, I know, and everyone does too. But, I'm damn sure of one thing that everyone knows his name. Thorn's face turned purple with rage. I thought he was going to start frothing at the mouth of shooting spines, but he just bowed awkwardly and left the room. Now, my boy, the general turned to Luke. The first thing we must do is isolate the half-blood failure. The monster we seek will then come to her. The huntress will be difficult to dispose of, the Luke said. Zoe Nightshade, do not speak her name. Luke swallowed. I'm sorry, sorry, General. I just, the General silenced him with a wave of his hand. Let me show you, my boy, how we will bring the hunters down. He pointed to a guard on the ground level. Do you have teeth? The, uh, the teeth, sorry. The guard stumbled forward with a ceramic pot. Yes, General, plant them he said. In the center of the room was a brick circle of dirt, where I guess the dinosaur exhibit was supposed to go. I watched nervously as the guard took sharp white teeth out of the pot and pushed them into the soil. He smoothed them over while the general smiled coldly. The the guard stepped back from the door and wiped his hands. Ready, general. Excellent. Water them and we will let them scent their prey. The god picked up a little tin watering can with the daisies painted on it. It was kind of bizarre because what he put out wasn't water. It was dark red liquid and I got a feeling it wasn't Hawaiian punch. God, it was blood. The salt began to bubble. Soon, the general said, I will show you, Luke, soldiers that will make your army from that little boat look insignificant. Luke clenched his fists. I've spent a year training my forces. When the Princess Andromeda arrives at the mountain, they'll be the best. Ha! the general said. I don't deny your troops will make a fine honor guard for Kronos. And you, of course, will have a role to play. I thought Luke turned paler when the general said that. But under my leadership, the forces of Lord Kronos will increase a hundredfold. We will be unstoppable. Behold, my ultimate killing machines! The soil erupted. I stepped back nervously. In each spot where a tooth had been planted, a creature was struggling out of the dirt. The first of them said, Meow. It was a kitten. A little orange tabby with stripes like a tiger. Then another appeared, until there were a dozen rolling around playing in the dirt. Everyone stared at them in disbelief. The general roared. What is this? Cute, curly kittens? Where did you find those teeth? The guard who just brought the teeth cowered in fear. From the exhibit, searches like you said, the sabre to the... T- I g- no, you idiot. I said the Tyrannosaurus, gather up those, those infernal fuzzy little beasts and take them outside and never let me see your face again. Just imagine being there for a second and in all of this tense atmosphere, all those little cute little kittens just come out of the dirt. Oh my god, I'm such a cat person. And I don't have a cat. That's the most saddest thing on earth. The terrified god dropped his watering can. He gathered up the kittens and scampered out of the room. You, the general, pointed to another god. Get me the right teeth. Now. The new god ran off to carry out his orders. Imbeciles. This is why I don't use models," Luke said. They are unreliable. They are weak-minded, easily bought, and violent, the general said. I love them. A minute later, the guard hustled into the room with his hands full of large pointy teeth. Excellent, the general said. He climbed onto the balcony railing and jumped down six meters. When he landed, the marble floor cracked under his leather shoes. He stood, wincing, and rubbed his shoulders. Curse my stiff neck! Another hot bath, sir? A god ox and more tie and all? No, it will pass. The general brushed off his silk suit, that snatched up the teeth. I shall do this myself. There we got another clue. has to decode who the general is. His neck was stiff. Come on, this is really simple. How can your neck be stiff? Unless you've been holding something on your shoulders for like an eternity. I'll let you figure it out man. He held up one of those teeth and smiled. Dinosaur teeth, ha! Those foolish models don't even know when they have dragon teeth in their possession. And not just any dragon teeth. These come from the ancient Sibiris herself. They shall do nicely. He planted them in the dirt, twelve in all, and then he swooped in the watering can. He sprinkled the soil with red liquid, tossed the can away, held his arms out wide. Rise! The dirt trembled. A single skeleton hand shot out of the ground grasping at the air. The general looked up at the balcony. Quickly! Do you have the scent? Yes, Lord, one of the snake ladies said. She took out a sash of silvery. F- I didn't do this when snakes are involved. I don't know why I just drag out the S's. See? <laughs> the cattle kind of hunters war. Excellent, the general said. Once my warriors catch. It's sent. Oh my god. I can't stop saying this. And they will pursue his owner relentlessly. Nothing can stop them. No weapons known to have blood or hunter. They will tear the hunters and their allies to shreds. Toss it here. As he said that, skeletons erupted from the ground. There were 12 of them. One for each tooth the general had planted. They were nothing like Halloween skeletons or the kind you might see in cheesy movies. These were growing flesh as I watched, turning into men, but men with dull gray skin, yellow eyes, and modern clothes, skin tight gray vests, camo trousers, and combat boots. If you didn't look too closely, you could almost believe they were human, but their flesh was transparent and their bones shimmered underneath like X ray images. One of them, Looked straight at me, regarding me coldly, and I knew that no cap of invisibility could fool it. The snake lady released the scarf and it fluttered down towards the general's hand. As soon as he gave it to the warriors, they would hunt Zoe and the other hunters until they were extinct. I didn't have the time to think. I ran and jumped with all my might, plowing into the warriors and snatching the scarf out of air. What's this? Bellowed the general, A lion at the feet of a skeleton warrior hissed an intruder. The general gathered one-cloaked in dark neck, Seal the doors! It's Percy Jackson! It has to be! I sprinted for the exit, but heard a ripping sound and realized the skeleton warrior had taken a chunk out of my sleeve. When I glanced back, he was holding the fabric up to his nose, sniffing the scent, handing it around to his friends. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I squeezed through the door just as the guard slammed it shut behind me. And then, I ran. Ooh, we're gonna enter a wild goose chase. It's gonna be perfect. It's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be so gruesome. It's gonna be so exhilarating. And funny. Okay. That's it for this episode. Tune in next Sunday. Only on the Percy Jackson Podcast.